0: laughed a bunch of different times in it, because you guys could take it, man. How many of you know, you know if you can if take it, you can make it, amen. Amen? amen? All right, let's go to the Hall of Faith today, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Thank you for being here, Hebrews 11, verse 1. We're going to go through the Hall of Faith. We're going to learn about those in the Bible who have gone before us, lived by faith, and showed us that it can be done. As I was sharing a couple of weeks ago, lost my friend Brandon. How many remember Brandon when he would come around here singing? Wasn't he special? Such a beautiful man of God. And I was thinking about this as I was at that uh, memorial service for him, that when the Lord, Pastor Berto, when the Lord calls us home, it's over. There isn't, like, the ability to stop it and to say, oh, but just one more thing, one more thing. Let me, Lord, let me go back and do this one more thing. That's it. It's over. It's done. We had Evangelist Wayman here the other day, and he lost his wife in a car accident. It's over. And what we have to think about is what we do for God is all that is going to last. If we only loved our family for our sake because we wanted a family, then that won't last in heaven. Now, they still, still may go to heaven with or without our obedience, but we will not have the treasure of that reward for loving our family for their soul's sake in the name of Jesus. Think about that. Every precious thing in your life, every gift needs to be filtered through your faith in Jesus. If not, then it's vanity, and it comes and goes so fast. Like I was thinking the other day, man, I kind of want to be like a baseball player. It was a random thought. Because, Bert, I remember when you, we'd go to the batting cages. like, I want to take my son there. There's, like, a part of me that says, like, if there was any sport that I could have made it in, it would have been baseball. I played football, but that wasn't going to happen, you know. I'm I'm somewhat built like Erlacher, but he's taller and more muscular, and that just wasn't my vibe, you know. But having a little belly on you, you ever watch those baseball players who got a little belly, they, they waddle out there and then hit a home run. I was like, man, maybe I could have been one of those guys. And it was just a thought in my head, right? It was just a thought. And I was driving by this high school, and I was, you know, seeing these kids out there, and I just had this thought, what if, what if? But then, you know, what happened the next moment? It just came to reality. It's over. Your youth is gone. Everybody get that? Like, I don't want to make you all depressed right now, but think about it. It just hit me. My youth is gone. I can't. I, I, I can't. I mean, I could try to make some type of George Foreman comeback at 46, but, I mean, it's probably not going to happen. Like, think about that. It's a random thought, but it just crossed my mind. It's over. That is done. That's gone. And then I just started thinking there, like, Lord, I pray that what I spent my life on is what will bless you for eternity. Because for us to act like God treats all of our lives the same, it's not true. For us to act like that, we're living in deception. Like, you cannot read Jesus's parables and think, like, Jesus is cool with whatever you do. I mean, how many times did Jesus give us the illustration of a manager checking on his servants? Do you remember some parables like that? One has to do with talents. He gives them talents, and the one took it and buried it. It gets it taken away from him, cast in the outer darkness. And then the guy who was flippity-flopping everything and making money every... Everywhere he went, he gets the one that the other guy has taken from him. You remember the one where he says, I put this uh, group of people in charge of my vineyard, and then I went to check on them, and they didn't want to listen to the workers, the helpers. He said, if I send my son to listen to them, but they killed the son. And he says, you better be ready, because I'm going to come and judge all of you. Or in another place, he says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a master who goes on a long journey. Somebody say, a long journey. He's been gone a long time, right? But then he comes when that, uh, that steward doesn't expect him. And he says if he finds him messing around, beating on people, getting drunk and partying in the master's house, he's going to get punished. He said, you better be ready when I come back because it's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen. And then, this one's not about work and everything, but it's about a wedding. He talks about the virgins, and he says, man, the kingdom of God is like this, virgins waiting for the wedding party to go down. And back in those days, you used to have to bring your own lamps and light and all kinds of weird stuff. I don't know what's going on there. Read something on the History Channel. or Watch something on the History Channel. But but they had to have their own lamps. How many know the story I'm talking about where I'm going here? But five of the foolish virgins, virgins didn't bring enough oil and then what did they say to their friends yo yo help me up man give me some of your oil and here's the thing man you can help people only to an extent in this story the wise virgins are wise for a reason and they know if they try to give out what they have they won't be ready and then when that wedding party comes there's not gonna be any virgins there so they go look we can't do it you need to take care of this yourself you need to go get your own somebody say get your own oil Man, I can help you. I can tell you where the oil is at, but I can't get it for you. Not in this situation. And then what happens? The wedding party comes. The groom comes. And they get inside the party. Man, they start having a fiesta. And then they lock the doors. think about that. Oh, come on. Some people on um, Puerto Rican time, Greek time, I've heard it all types of time. But y'all who like to come late, there was one time in my Bible, uh, at my house for a get-together, they came late with the leaders and I said, the, the, the barbecue's over. Y'all go home, come back on time. And it was spreading around the church. Pastor's crazy. No, Pastor's is giving you an illustration of the end times. Y'all listen to me? Listen, I said, y'all listen to me. The, the virgins came to a locked Door. They weren't prostitutes. Does it say, does it, does it say uh, them tricks came to the door and it was locked? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say the prostitutes came. No, it says the virgins came. Come on, we're here now. We're ready now. We got the oil now. And he said, no, you're done. You're done. You're out. Man, I look at the Bible and I see it's, it's fair that we all get a chance to live by faith. But I'll tell you what, on Judgment Day, it's not going to seem fair to those who get rewarded a lot and those who get embarrassed and don't have a lot because they're going to think that God was picking favorites. But here is the thing. God favors those who live by faith. God favors those who live by faith. And it is fair because everyone has a chance to live by faith. Everybody say, live by faith. Amen. I want to live by faith. I want to live by the belief that Jesus Christ loves me, died for me, gave himself for me, so that in this world I don't live for myself, I live for him. I want to live by that faith, not by sight, not by what it looks like, so that when I see him face to face, there is a reward for what I did. My wife just did a devotional with the staff, and it was really deep. Everybody say, deep. It was deep. It got you to think about your motives as being a leader for Jesus. So she gave this to our leaders as a devotional. Is your motivation one that is intrinsic inside yourself between you and God, or is it extrinsic as the way you look at how others will perceive you and how you'll be a leader to others? So is your motivation to be a leader because you get to be in charge of stuff, or is it because on the inside, intrinsically, you you love God and want to serve. But if you know me, you know I'm a little bit of a nerd and I love to try to find little ways around things. So I said, it actually can be both. Because notice this, my friends, when Jesus saw the disciples arguing about who would be the greatest, he didn't say, none of y'all are going to be the greatest. Y'all going to be a bunch of losers in the kingdom, so get used to it. You're just my servants. Notice what he says to them. Whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant of all. He doesn't take from them the motivation to want to be great. He doesn't take from them the idea that you should want to be looked up to. He just said the way you're going to be great is going to be a servant. But notice this, we don't call Jesus buddy and get saved, and you don't call Jesus the lover of your soul to get saved. How do you get saved? You call Jesus Lord, but he's still a servant, isn't he? But you have to respect him and call him Lord. And Paul, the apostle, did not make you, uh, you know, do all of these things to show how much you respect and honor him like we would see today in churches. No, but he said, if you really love me, you will follow me as I follow Christ. Sometimes the pastor says, hey, man, don't follow me. Just follow Jesus. You need to take their advice and leave the church then. Well, well, we haven't seen you around here for a while. W- what happened? Well, the pastor told me not to follow him. What do you think I'm sitting there for? I'm not sitting here to listen to another person just like me. I'm listening to somebody that's supposed to teach me and lead me and guide me. Parents, don't say that to your kids. Don't, don't listen to what I say. You know, don't do what I do. Just listen to what I say. Don't, do, don't give that advice. Listen to what I say and do what I do. Amen. Now, when I say that to you, follow me as I follow Christ, man, you better understand the fear of God comes into my heart. And that fear of God doesn't just start and stop right here when the bright lights are on. That means something to me when I'm getting up in the morning and I'm feeling lazy. And you're not around. But I know Carlos has got to go fix some air conditionings. I know Andrew's got to go fix some plumbing. I know you got to go be a teacher or you've got to go work at your job. And then here I am... I don't know if I feel like doing it today. Just reading the Bible again. So hard being a pastor. Seriously, man, sometimes you listen to these pastors and they remind me of uh, Zulander when he went to go work in the coal mine one day. You know, I think I got the black lung pops. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these pastors are like, nobody knows the troubles I face. I'm like, you need to talk to an electrician. I think he knows. Go talk to a plumber. Go talk to a waitress. You know, I think they know. Not everybody likes them every day. I mean, we as pastors try to get off easy sometimes, but but hear my heart with this. I want to have the fear of God in me where every day I'm going 10 for Jesus. I'm going all in. I want to go all in for Jesus. I want. When Jesus looks at my life, God forbid, even if it were to happen today, if, it, if my life is put on the balance of eternity, what did you do with it, Joe? I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be embarrassed. I know that there are things in my life I could have done differently, and truly I have repented for those things, but I want to be uh, not only for God the best that I can be, but I want to be that for my wife, for my kids, for my family, and every person here, please hear my heart. You may not be holding the microphone today, but your life is a sermon to the people around you, and in some ways, I'm actually envious of you. Because you get to be in a place where they're not expecting you to be a pastor. And so when you are a Christian and you're not like me as a pastor, I'm kind of envious because it makes them think, like, man, what do you get out of it? Like when I meet people, it's always like, okay, so what do you do for a living? You know, that's how dudes normally talk. What do you do for a living? And then once it comes out that I'm a pastor, when I go into me living for Jesus, they're like, of course you live for Jesus. (laughs) You're a pastor. You get something out of it. You get motivation. They, they get you a parsonage, you know. You get to use the, the church card and go out and buy stuff, you know. And I don't do it for myself personally, but that's how they think, you know. And they're like, you get something out of this. You get to talk in front of people, you know. This is your Steve Harvey show. But I, I'm envious of many of you because I haven't always been a pastor, obviously, because you remind me when I first got saved and I was roofing. And I would talk to the men about being a Christian. See, then it wasn't because I'm a pastor. It was because I met Jesus, is because I love the Lord. That's why I'm, I'm here, man. That's why I'm not cussing. I'm not, you know, I don't get anything out of this to please somebody. Maybe I do, but maybe you know, there's some good things that come out of it, but that's not my motivation. My motivation is Jesus. And so when you go to the places you go, I want you to go there you know, with the confidence, with the strength of God on your side, and looking at these stories as I am challenged as well to say, hey, if Abraham did it, I can do it in Jesus' name. If Abel had a good offering, I can have a good offering. That's why, you know, when the world talks about us and money, they always try to make make us look dumb because of what uh, these other Christians do and these pastors and these televangelists and these fake people. That's why we as a church, by God's grace, you can look at the books anytime. We're not hiding anything from you, including what my wife and I make. It's just all there. Because at the end of the day, what are you doing with your money? That's why I want to ask him, what are you doing with your money? Oh, man, I just pay bills and all that. You sure that's all you do? Because I'm looking at your truck, and it looks like that could run quite a, you know, it it looks like it could run quite well without having on those 30-inch tires. Come on, how many people know what I'm talking about? Oh, I just spend my money on my bills, man, my family all the time. You driving a truck that looks like a semi-tractor? Seriously, oh, man, I, I just take care of my family. And then he pulls up in a 65 Mustang, well, I take care of this, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody got a little something extra. Most of us in America, let's be honest, we got a little something extra. What are you spending on that extra? What are you giving that 5 to 10% extra to? I would rather give it to Jesus in the club. Hello. I would rather give it to Jesus than to OnlyFans. It gets quiet when I preach like this in the Presbyterian church. Any Pentecostals can shout amen? Amen. amen. I would rather spend it on this than Modelo every week. Not to say it's a sin to drink, but some people be drinking all the time. They spend more than 10% on Modelo. Can I get an amen? Just found one on my sidewalk the other day. Oh, y'all made it out here, I see. The Modelo right there. I can't get too far from you, okay? Seriously, that's why it's on my mind right now because I'm praying for whoever's littering in my neighborhood throwing out Modellos or Modelos. So you know. People spend their money on all kinds of things. I'd rather give it to the church and give it to the Lord, as a matter of fact, I haven't met anybody who's ever been generous with God that's ever regretted it. I've known many Christians over my life, many, many Christians of various denominations throughout many churches. My pastor, uh, my parents went to at least three or four uh, growing up. And I'm telling you, I've never met any of them that regret their generosity. Uh, they regret giving to, to the hucksters and the swindlers and all that, like when they found out, all oh, that money didn't go to such and such a place. But they don't regret giving it. They're proud of it in Jesus' name. You know, that's why it's so sad like in in our communities as we see like Good Shepherd down the street there on uh, Narragansett and what is that, Belmont? That used to be called Good Shepherd Assembly of God. Now it's Allah Akbar. Are you listening? Now it's a Muslim mosque. What do you think those Christians would say who were there in the 30s and 40s and 50s building that thing now seeing it's a mosque? I remember talking to a pastor in my community. He was a Korean pastor, and I think it was a Presbyterian church. I don't know what it was, but I called him up, and uh, I said, man, I see you have your building for sale right on the main road like this, your church building. I said, look, you can't do that. I said, it's going to get swooped up by another religion. They love doing that. They take pride in that. They put it in their newsletters. They get excited. Look at us. We bought a mega church. We turned it into a mosque. Look at us. We turned this into a Hindu thing. And this dude just told me, well, you know, we need the money. We need to do X, Y, and Z. I said, bro, let's come up with a plan, man. Let's, let's, Let's put another church in there. Let's start doing whatever we can. I'm talking to this man. And he said, well, we just got to do this and that and this and that. You know who ended up buying that building? The Hindus. It's a Hindu temple there. And it breaks my heart every time I drive by it because there's still some Christian ornate things there in the midst of the Hindu gods on the building. Could you imagine that? We're not saying we don't love them. I mean, I love my Hindu neighbors. They should be able to have freedom of religion in this country. They don't give it to us in theirs, but we have a better moral system. Amen? Put that in your karma and smoke it. We're nicer than you are. You're trying to kill us over there. We at least let you do all the thing here. But here's the sad thing. Here is the sad thing is that that was a church. What happened to the faith? What happened to the belief that that could be something great for the community? Man, why not give it away to a youth center, a youth program, and go back to a home Bible study or something. If you don't feel like you can afford it, you know, do what you can, man. Just don't give up. But, yet, we do it all the time. It's not just the churches. I look at some of our lives, and I don't want to judge you, but I know some of you are stagnant in your faith. You've been going so far for God, you know, doing so much, and I'm happy that you're not who you used to be, but you're not who you're supposed to be. And I know you as your pastor, and trust me, I'm not going to call you out. It's not my job to embarrass you like that. But I just want to challenge you in this uh, sermon series, within a sermon series, because I don't know how long we're going to be here, but I'll take a week on each one if I have to, because I want each one of them to encourage us. I want to be inspired, because I'm not the first one to preach in a storefront church, but yet have dreams of 100,000. I'm not the first one to have a, a, a family of six and wondering how I'm going to be able to support them in all the dreams that they have. I'm glad I got mostly girls because in our culture, the men's family got to pay for the weddings. Can I hear an amen? amen? Going to pick the right man. Y'all pay for this wedding. No, I'm kidding. Me. I want to take care of them, you know. But, I, you know, it's hard when you think about all the challenges that we have in front of us, not just the growth of a church or the growth of my family, but I look at my future Man, of all the times for me to put my money in the stock market, I'm down almost 70% on what I put in in retirement. Come on, somebody. Feel sorry for this preacher trying to invest his own money. I oh, man, look at NEO. Look at these companies. Look at, I just received this money from the church. It was a back payment. It was for my retirement, so I put it in these stocks. And my dad was like, you better be careful. I'm like, no, they're all amazing. They're amazing. And then, and I'm like, in the middle of a recession, how many feel like sometimes luck works against you if there was such a thing? You buy a house at the wrong time, you get a car at the wrong time, gas price is going up, the time I've never been invested in stocks, and then I put this money in over here, and then I watched the, the NASDAQ and all these things drop 30, 40, 50 percent, where for the last 10 years, they've been going up, 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 you know? So what do you do? You have to live by faith. We're not the first ones to be challenged with times like this. We live by faith. We look at the people of the Bible and say, well, how'd they go through it? How'd they do it? What did they have in them that was different than the people around them? How did they face troubles? Like some of you right now, you're raising your children. You're like, man, of all the times for me to raise my children, I'm raising them in Babylon. How many parents here wish you were raising your children in a time of leave it to beaver? You know, But of all the time, of all the time for me to have to have children, now teachers dressing up and playing make-believe Mr. Potato Head in front of us, switching body parts around. And I'm, I'm like, man, I just want to send them to school. I would love, listen to me, I want my children to look at me. I would love to send you to school for eight hours a day. I would love to do it. I would get happy. I would get excited. Love (laughs) to I'm looking at one particular, I would love to launch you to school every morning and every day. Except maybe these little there's right there. I'd like to keep you around, just hold you and love you and just tell you how awesome you are. But I can't, I can't, I mean, if you're in the public school system, we pray for you, there's no judgment. But just if I can, and my wife and I have planned this out to homeschool, I'm going to homeschool rather than to bring them into this environment. And like right now, Bethany, she's turning 14 and she wants to start working to, to move out at 15, half kids. She wants to save up and get her own apartment. She's got all these plans. Where is she at? There she is. She wants to, I mean, day one, she turns 16. She has a car. Day 18, she wants to move out. So we're trying to help her do all these things. But now we have to prepare her, like what your job is going to be like. Imagine when I send her to go work at Target. Like, what she's gonna to have to learn there about the world. So, every now and then, I just need to have her watch Ellen Degenerate, I mean, Degenerate, and just be like, This is what's waiting for you. Watch an episode of this. We're gonna break you in. And others of you who are already there, you're like, Oh man, it ain't so bad. I get it. You know, you guys have become strong in your faith. But we are being challenged in our faith, most of us right now, in all of these different ways, whether it's finances, our children, the world that we live in, the craziness around us. What are we gonna do? Well, we gotta to turn to Jesus we got to go back to these examples. I think about the preachers that I heard uh, come to our church and preach and the pastors that I served under some who have now gone home to be with the Lord taught these same stories to their children. And uh, they're not just useful fictions. These are true stories. These are people who lived and were to live by their example. Follow them as they follow Christ. And you're going to see uh, from the first one that we're going to get into here in just a moment, we're going to see that Abel died for what he did right. That's, that's going to be the story I mean we're going to get into in just a moment. That sometimes doing the right thing will lead to the wrong result in your life. And you may be confused and go, man, how did this happen? I mean, think about this as I skip ahead to the story here a little bit. Think about poor Abel. What did this man do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. He served God. God, here's my past. Here it is, Jesus. And I don't even see him being like cocky to his brother like, nah, 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 you got some nasty old stuff you given giving God. Look at my good stuff. God's blessed me. I don't even see him being like that. I just see him mind In his own business. He's loving God. He's happy to be there. He gives the first of his flocks to the Lord. He's like, Yes, God, you deserve it all. I want you to be blessed by this. And then what does his brother do? Gets jealous and then kills him. There goes Cain. Think about that. One of the most righteous men of the earth. There he goes. Oftentimes we think life's not fair because we lose people that we know are good. Sometimes, and listen, man, I ain't got nothing wrong with, I have nothing against a homeless one-eyed Willie that's by my street corner all the time asking for money and all that. But I'll be, I would lie to you if I didn't sometimes secretly wonder, why is that dude still alive and my sister died drinking and driving? You get my point? Why do some of these murderers and these acts and some of these worst people you've ever can think of, they're still living after all the drugs, after all the crazy stuff they did, and then Lauren, she lost her mother to cancer at a young age, and others die early, and you just think to yourself, these are good people. These good people should be on the earth. This is right at the beginning, though. Here's Abel, gone from the earth, and Cain gets to live his life. So you're going to start to learn that faith is not always going to be fantasy. Sometimes it does end in a fantasy. I I thank God that I married my fantasy right there. I had faith for something to come that I could not imagine. This is the one right here. Amen? This is the one. I had faith. But I would still be serving Jesus even if I was going to be a bachelor to the rapture. And that would seem strange, wouldn't it? Like a pastor, he's in his 40s, he's single, and and he's been out there on the dating scene, and he's still single. Y'all would probably be signing me up for some reality show, you know, to help my pastor. Dear and so help my pastor find someone to love him. But I mean, I would have to be here either way. I would be serving God either way, and yet... My fantasy did come true, and there's others that, they, that didn't come true. Like, like thinking about my friend Brandon, he married right at the end of his age, I mean, at, at, you know, at the end of his life, and he never had any children from his own loins. So he adopted those children that he had from the, the woman had from the first marriage, but he doesn't have any children from his loins. See, if I was to die right now, my generation lives on, amen? See, and, but, you know, he doesn't have any more children. His, his DNA at, at, at that time, it died when he died. Now, how many are glad to see little Lucas coming up right there? So, anything happens to me, he's gonna keep going. Where's Titus at right now? Go lift him up. Get him up from that church nap. Or is it gonna be trouble? No, never mind. Leave him alone. He's kind of too much like me. He's a little too much like me. Open up your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, if you're ready. Somebody say, "I'm I'm ready. Let's live by faith. Now, faith. Everybody say, now, faith. That's the first thing you're going to learn today in the lesson is faith is now. It's not yesterday. It's not going to be now. Faith is. Faith is something you and I have to have every day, and it needs to be now. Ahora, In the moment, faith is now, present with us. Now I'm going to go from the King James. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now we get into two uh, difficulties when we say our definition of faith. The first one comes from the world, the non-Christian, the agnostic, atheist-type, sassy person. What they'll say is, oh, see, you Christians, you live by make-believe. We live by science. So let me just explain to you the need of faith in every part of your life. When a scientist today does science, what are they relying upon to do science? Their reasoning. Their reasoning aren't they? And can you see reasoning? Can you see it? No, you cannot. So they're trusting it, aren't they? See, there you go. Hold up. Wait a minute. See, put a little God in it. Are y'all tracking with me? The scientist says, oh man, I only believe what I can see. Well, hold on. How do you know what you see is real? You have to reason it, right? You have to use logic. But can you paint reason in a laboratory yellow and test it and put it into a, you know, one of those little beakers and stuff? No. No. Can you do that with logic? No, and I know you guys have heard this many, many times before, so I won't belabor it, but I want you to think about this. Everybody has some kind of faith. Everybody has something that they believe in, in which they cannot see, but not all faith is created equal. In other words, what we are saying we cannot see, but what we believe is the God who made everything. Now, let me ask you this. Did Adam and Eve see that God? They did, and they still sinned. So seeing doesn't mean you're going to be obedient either. Did Satan see that God? He did, didn't he? But he didn't obey. Did the people of Jesus' day see Jesus? That's right, and they didn't obey. So we're not saying that when you see, you will believe. Because if you don't believe without seeing, you won't believe when you see. Pharaoh's army saw all the things that God was doing, and they were still foolish enough by sin in pride to run into the Red Sea that the very God who had tortured them the weeks before had split apart. See, sin will make a fool out of you. So we all believe in something, and there are things we choose to believe in, and there's things we choose not to believe in. How many believe in the chupacabra? Does anybody here believe in the chupacabra? Does anybody here believe in the boogeyman? Some of you like kind of, sort of. Okay, listen, they're, they're not real. Now, but hold on. But how many believe in Bigfoot? Might be a little bit more. Hey, there's probably somebody out there. He's been out in the woods for a while. He's a little, you know, his little, uh, little sketchy dude. Okay, but aliens. See, see, now we start to change, right? See, we all know that certain things are not true, but then we start getting to these other things that could be true. Now, what am I belief about aliens? I believe they're angels, okay? Fallen angels, demons particularly. And that is a part of what the Bible says. Everybody get this. Signs in the heavens and on the earth below is a part of our in time judgment. And so what if... What we think are aliens are actually demons and ships messing with people, and they're going to continue to do that when the Antichrist rises up. And for those who think that angels cannot manipulate crafts and be in crafts, remember that even when Elijah was taken to heaven, he was taken in a chariot. So they can manage equipment, okay? Just because they're spiritual beings doesn't mean they can't touch things. When they came on the earth in Sodom and Gomorrah, they touched a whole bunch of things and then destroyed the place, amen? Okay, so everyone has a limit to what they say, ah, I'm not sure I believe. And then others like, man, that could be true, that could be true. And now, where does Christianity uh, fit on that sliding scale of faith? I think it fits on the thing that has to be true, and it's impossible for anything else other than Christianity to be true. In other words, I believe it's the foundation of all knowledge. Let's start from the very beginning. Couldn't something come from nothing? No, so there has to be a something, Right? It's impossible that nothing produces something, correct? Okay, so now we're, we're dealing with impossibilities. It's impossible. From all that we know and understand. The next thing is, is this something organized? The universe, including you in this universe, is it organized or disorganized? It's organized, and when it's disorganized, we don't like it, and we can tell something's up, right? Okay? Now, something comes from something, and this something has to be able to organize. That's what I begin to call a god. Does everybody get that? Now, what do I attach to that belief of God? I attach morals and other understandings because of the holy prophets and what God has spoken before. But notice, I didn't have to go to the scripture to say what I just simply said about the belief in God. Now, what kind of God is that? I do go to the revelation that he's given me. At this point, people may say, well, there's other revelations we should look at. And I grant them that request. And I'll put those revelations in one of four buckets can just be legends, just people making up stuff. It could be demons messing with them, trying to trick them. Or it could be the people actually had an encounter with God, but misunderstood it. So God, the one like the one true God, showed up to them, but they misunderstood what was going on. So just basically think about it, is it legend? Is it demons? Or is it God actually showing up and people misunderstanding things? That's how I can go through the, the world religions. And guess what? When I come to a Christian, and the fourth one would be, would be God showing up and it would be the truth. When I look at Christianity, it goes into the truth bucket. And when I look at all the other religions, they go in one of those three buckets right there. Most of Hinduism, like Greek mythology, goes into the legend category. Most of that's not even true even based on what demons did. Then you get into Islam, and you get into uh, some other faiths, and yeah, some animist religions where they have witch doctors and some things. Yeah, those are probably demons. And then when you go into the world history of some of these different uh, civilizations, and as I've talked about before, uh, the book Eternity in Their Hearts, that documents what these uh, uh, indigenous people groups were like when missionaries reached them, a lot of them had revelation, I believe, from the true God, but misunderstood it or corrupted it over time. How many believe God reaches out to people? Amen. Amen. And then lastly, I believe the Jewish people actually heard from God. Now, if the Jewish people didn't hear from God, why in the world would they still be here? Are the Hittites still here? Are the Canaanites still here? Are you listening to me? No. You look at all of these nations that they were always in conflict with, the Edomites and all of these other people, the Moabites, all of these other people. Why are the Israelites still here? Were they as big as the Egyptians? Were they as big as the Greek and Roman Empire or the Persians? No, they were little, just nothing of a nation, like the Hittites, like the Jebusites, like the Moabites, like the Edomites. And yet they're still here, so now we have to come up with an explanation. Well, God said that he would keep them here, that he would keep them here until his return. And notice that out of all the nations in the world, what nation has more people hating it than Israel? I can't think of any. Even though I've seen uh, the plight of the African-American and studied it, what the Jewish people have gone through even outweighs that. And here's the proof. Africans, those in the African continent, enslaved them. (laughs) Think about that. They were the slaves of Africans for how many years? 400 years. Are you listening to me? And still hated in their own homeland while African nations have lived in their homeland. Yes, they've been dispersed by different uh, colonializations. But for the most part, you look at Africa and you look at the people who are there. How many know there's a lot of Africans in Africa? But where have the Jewish people been on the earth? Are they mostly or had they been mostly in Israel throughout the last 2,000 years? No, they've been scattered all across the globe. But now somehow they're being regathered back to Israel. Could that be a prophecy being fulfilled? See, I think it's impossible to see it any other way. I don't think there's an actual explanation, whether you want to call it science, histor- historicity, or whatever example you want to go to, to point to me why the Jewish people still exist to begin with, why they were scattered from their nation for almost 2,000 years, hated by almost every people group on the earth at one time or another, and then survived with their own traditions to be able to be brought back to their land after the greatest attraction Atrocity known to erase the Holocaust? How else do you explain that except by the Bible and him fulfilling his promise to them? And then last but not least, everybody say, My Jesus. Of course I could have started there, but I'm going to end there. My Jesus. Ain't nobody like my Jesus. It's impossible to explain Jesus' life without taking what he said to be true. Some people try to say, well, he's a legend. He's a, well, if he was a legend, why did people believe in it and die for it when they gained nothing from it? When we talk about other religions that have legends, they have reasons to believe in them. If you were a Greek person, making up stories about your Greek gods got you promotion in the society. If you were in Rome and you did the same thing, you, this one gets you nothing, gets you put out. And as a matter of fact, who were the first followers of Jesus? They weren't pagans that believed God could become man. It was Jewish people. Jewish people who took their religion so serious that they survived all of those pagan regimes like Persia. And if you want to see what they were like, watch the 300, okay? These wicked regimes, they, they, they were surviving Babylon and Persia and all of these things, and they were never, ever to go back to idolatry, and they didn't. Are you listening to me? When Jesus found the Jewish people in Rome or uh, in Jerusalem, they were not idolaters, They had learned those lessons the hard way. In other words, because they had been kind of flirting with those nations, God said, I'm going to let you see what it's like to be under those nations of those gods. And he said, when you come out, you will never look at idols again. And from that point forward, from their captivity, they never went back to idolatry. And yet you're going to tell me that Jewish people, while living in a pagan nation like Rome, now leave their understanding of God, start worshiping a God-man, make up legends about him to be their Messiah that they thought would conquer the world, and yet he dies on the cross. They make up that story to believe in it, only to die at the hands of the pagans that would have left them alone. If they would have just stayed Jews, it's impossible to come up with an understanding of Christianity without taking Christ serious. And what does he say? He says, when you you put down this body, I will raise it up again. And he kept his word. And those men and women, praise God, went out and preached the gospel. And then here is the icing on the cake. Somebody say, talk about Paul. Paul. Thank you because Paul came from Judaism and when he did, he came the most intense way persecuting Christians on his way to kill more of them like they had with Stephen. And yet now he converts to Christianity at the pains of losing the respect of his own people and then to become an outlaw in the Roman Empire, the very people. He said that Jesus who appeared to him told him to preach about In other words, Paul died in Rome being beheaded by a Roman Empire because Jesus said, you persecuted them, now you're going to feel like what it's like to be one of them and to uh, be persecuted. And he sent him to the Roman Empire. Imagine the courage of that. And why would you make up such a story? A man that's a Jew killing the, uh, 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 the Christians that were Jews at that time. Why would you make up a story? I saw him. I'm now one of them. And now my assignment is to go to the Roman Empire and go talk about him. These are the stories of our Christian heritage, amen? So when I say faith, as the scripture does, is the substance of things hoped for. I'm not talking about a make-believe faith. I'm not talking about throwing in a quarter at the wishing well there at Six Flags in front of the carousel, if you've ever been there. I'm not talking about something that I haven't investigated. What I'm saying is I have faith in that which I've investigated, in that which I hope for, and now that faith is what gets me through the things that I cannot see come to pass. See, our faith is based in evidence, folks. You're not taking a blind faith. This, this generation now wants to say that faith is blind. No, that's what you guys have. Remember, you said something came from nothing. I ain't never saw that. That's blind faith. Everything I've ever seen has come from something else, and now I'm taking that own faith that came from my God. Do you get the difference? Where does the evidence lie towards whose belief system? the evidence is on my side that there's a creator God, and he's an organized God, and he's a great big God, and he's a moral God because I got morals, and I think about those kinds of things, and he gave us the people. Of Israel, and they've been kept on the earth, and there's no other explanation except his words and his prophecies. And then Jesus, his son, came death, burial, and resurrection. And this man named Paul writes most of the New Testament uh, epistles, and he tells me his story. I see all of that evidence, and the only explanation that makes sense is for me to trust the God that I have not yet seen. In other words, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and deny all of that. Are you listening? I don't have enough make-believe. I have real faith more than them, but I don't have enough make-believe, fantasy-type faith to do what they do. I can't deny it. That's why when I talk to non-believers, I say, well, you explain the thing then. You explain the world. And I always tell you this because they always sound so silly. Well, it was a big bang. And I say, well, who banged it, dude? Tell me you've at least thought about that. Tell me you didn't just stop the conversation there, man, because honestly, they talk to us as if we've never thought through things, and I'm like, like, man, I have thought through this more on the toilet than you have probably thought about it in your college classes. Y'all don't even take two seconds to think about, oh, the big bang, the big bang, that's your God. Like, I have a cross. You need to have one of a big bang and kiss it and all, you know, that's your idol, the big bang. Who banged that thing, dude? Ask the next question. What bang? You know, this is just so common sense to us. And then when they tell me about Jesus, oh, so he was just a myth, I'm like, what myth do you know of like this one? Tell me. That's why I love C.S. Lewis, who wrote more myth and better myth than anybody that you've ever met. He said, this is not a myth. If it is, it's the one that's true. All other myths are based on this. If you're going to call it a myth, he said, it's the true myth. Because you can't just overlook history. You can't overlook the evidence and act like it doesn't matter and then say, we're the ones playing make-believe. I'm not. I'm real about this. How many are real about this? If you showed me Jesus and there was the real Jesus and he didn't raise from the dead, Paul said, we're none. But you haven't been able to show me the real Jesus. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen. They can't do it. Tell make-believe stories like the Da Vinci Code. Man, that's make-believe. Zeitgeist. Oh, he's like Mithra. He's like Osiris. No, Eden, you haven't studied them and you haven't studied the Bible. I love it when our guys finally put this information out there because we all don't have time to do it. I mean, you're on your job. I'm doing my things too. You can't myth bust every one of these mythicizers and all of this. But I'm so glad when my friends get out there and do what their PhDs, you know. They're like, man, Osiris' resurrection was like this, this, and this. They believed it became, a, you know, an animal and then came back. I mean, they tell the whole story of what they're trying to say is comparative to Jesus. Nothing like Jesus. Nothing. We're telling you a man of history raised from the dead and changed the world that we now live in. When you read his teachings, it's as relevant today, if not more, than the newspaper. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The Bible gives us the words of life, and if it didn't work, I wouldn't be here anymore. I would have just got some goosebumps at my mother's kitchen table, and then I would have moved on to being spiritual like everybody else in my friend's group. How many know spiritual people? It is spiritual, man. They go to the buffet of religion, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Jesus, put a little bit of, you know, stuff on there. And it's like, oh, here's my, here's my spirituality. No, Jesus clearly just—he dis- made himself different from every other person. Jesus distinguished himself. Thank you, Lord. That's the word from any other false prophet or anyone claiming to do such. So look at this definition again, please, because I want to correct it from our generation that wants to say, you and I are playing make-believe. We are not. Faith is a what? The substance. Does a substance have a substance about it? Yes. Is a a substance something that's make-believe? No. What I have as faith may not be able to be seen in every way. I don't have every answer. I can't point to the angels in the sky. that, That is true. So I have faith, yes. But remember, so do they. But my faith is a substance, it is a concrete thing. You can build on it, you can base your life on it, it makes sense for what I'm hoping for. I love what one man said as he was brought to the Museum of Postmodern Art, and you guys have probably seen those things, splatters on the page. Look how deep that is, man, that guy's an amazing artist. And then, you know, you see these things, you know, this pottery, and it's all upside down and all this and that. One man said at the museum, he said, well, thank God the architect didn't build the, the building here that we're in postmodern. Right? Because if the guy said, hey, put the concrete ceiling up there and then put the nice, uh, you know, uh, a floor, I mean, the wooden roof down there, how many know the thing would tip over and break, couldn't hold the weight? The guy who built the, the museum for postmodern art couldn't do it saying truth is relative. It's in the eye of the beholder. Okay, so Carlos, we're going to go build something. And you know what? The foot that I use is going to be different than the foot that you use and the yardstick. is just going to be in the eye of the beholder. You ready to build something? <laughs> and the weight that we decide, the poles and all this, the, the weight is just going to be in the eye of the beholder. And how many believe that that would end in a big crash? But that's what the world wants to do with religion. Oh, well, there is no absolute truth. What do you just ask them in return? Is what you just said absolutely true? Is that true? Oh man, you know, I just think everybody should have their own way, and you know, you should just leave everybody alone. Well, then why aren't you leaving me alone? Why are you pushing your way on me? Why are you telling me what you think, right? And so people always try to say these kinds of things, but they don't see the contradiction. See, our faith is a substance of things hoped for. Now, watch this. Somebody say an evidence of things not seen. Socrates is a man, all men are mortal. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. Did you see that? Did you see it with your eyes? No, you didn't. You met Socrates, y'all? You did? You've checked out every man to see if they're mortal? How do you not know the man sitting next to you is Superman? You see, the moment we do logic, we're basing it on known truths that we trust are true. We trust that there was a man named Socrates. We don't know. We didn't meet him. We didn't hang out with him. Hey, Socrates, what's going on? We don't know him. And then when we say all men are mortal, we're saying all the men that we've checked out, right? Because there could be a man over here that's lived to be a billion years old. We don't know. But we do this all the time in logic. That was one of the first syllogism that came out. And then we trust it. Well, therefore, Socrates is mortal. If Socrates is a man and all men are mortal, then Socrates must be mortal. And you see people live by that every day. And they say, that's evidence that you're going to die. And how many believe if you're a man here today, you're going to die? And why do you have that belief? Because of that syllogism I just gave you. But could you be possibly the one man that never dies? You could be. But we don't live that way, do we? We live based on the reality that since so many men have already died, we make the statement, all men are mortal. And you go to a college and you say all men are mortal and nobody disagrees with you. And yet you want to say all men come from God and then they want to call you a fool. Right? Are you listening? Well, show me God. Show me God. Well, show me all men are mortal. Go and check every single man. You see, I'm showing you God the same way that you're showing me mortal men, in the fact of, I know something can't come from nothing. And if this something is organized and it's as big as we see it is, we haven't even found the end of it, and it's pretty big. It must have came from something we would call a God. And then if somebody says, "Well, then who created God, then and we're not talking about the right God, because my God doesn't have a creator. go talk to the Mormons. They believe gods have gods. Are you listening? So if you think a God has a God, that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about, the, I'm talking about the end game of all gods, that one right there, the starting one. That's the God, the God that's the creator of all of the other gods. And the Bible even says he's the God of God. So whatever one you're making up, he's the God of that one. And if I had time, I would take you through the book of Genesis and show you just how there he is making fun of those gods because those gods believe that the great depth is where they came from and he is over the great depth and from there he makes the earth. Can I hear an amen? They believe that their God came out of that primordial goo, and he's over that goo. And then light to them was their God. Like in Egyptians, um, they believe the sun was God. But our God speaks light before there's ever even a sun. Can I hear an amen? And then he speaks the sun into existence and all the other stars and tells them where to be for as long as they're going to be there. He's the God of gods. There's nobody like him. He's the first and the last. Amen. So when people say to me, Joe, you don't have evidence. Yeah, I do. I have the word of God, all the things that are proven true throughout science and history and never contradicts this when it's done right. And then I have faith that explains it all. See, think of faith not just as something you're believing like make-believe, but faith is something that holds all of your beliefs together that you can't quite tie together yet because you don't have the ability to do so. Just like you would have faith in logic. All men are mortal. What are you using when you make that statement? You're making a faith statement in logic that you don't have to go and check every single man. Can I hear an amen? And it's the same thing. I don't have to check every way that something can come into existence when I say I have ex- a faith in God that creates everything. Because from everything we know, it has come from something. I trust that. Now, how does that apply to our everyday lives? Look at it, verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is now where we live. We live by faith. We live like them. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand. Do you see how that works? By faith, we what? Understand. By faith, we do what? We understand. So it's by faith we understand everything. Everything. Notice this. That the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And that would only make sense. Can I be my own mother? No, I can't be my own mother. So that means whatever made me, if you're looking at me, you're not seeing what made me. Is my mom here today? No, but how many know I was made? But it's not visible who made me right now, but you know I was made. See, that's what the ancients were commended for. They understood that the entire universe had been made, but it couldn't have been made by itself. That's what some people will say. Well, the universe, it banged on itself. It did it to itself. Oh, it can do that? It can be its own mama? Okay. Tell me more about what happens in your make-believe world. Do elephants fly? Seriously. Well, it did it all of itself. And then it came from a multiverse creator. And then where did that multiverse creator come from? Oh, it came from another multiverse creator. Oh, so you just make up a bunch of stuff, making up a bunch of other stuff. See that's how they think, and they call that science. Seriously, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson will get paid millions of dollars to tell you about the universe and how it just came from itself. Does anybody here that believe that things come from themselves? No, none of us believe that, but we're called the dumb ones. See, it's by faith the ancients understood that if the universe is here, it did not come from itself. Hallelujah! Come on, somebody. God had to command it. God had to speak it because God couldn't have had tools to build it because what would those tools have been made out of? You see, at the very beginning, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God is anything of has to do with heavens and earth, then what's his creator? See, if he's the creator of heavens and earth, that means whatever he is, it is not heavens and earth. And whatever he used to create heavens and earth couldn't be heavens and earth. Because, how are you going to build a hammer to make heavens and earth if it's not a part of heavens and earth? What is it a part of then? Are you listening? This is one of our arguments towards Arians who say that, like Jehovah Witnesses, that the Father created Jesus first, and then through Jesus, he created everything else, that he's the first of all other creation, that all other creation came from him, but he's the first creation that creates everything else. Not only is that not taught in the Bible, it's not logically sound, because if there's not heavens and earth, it's waiting for Jesus to create it, and there's only God, where does he put Jesus? Jesus. Where does Jesus exist if He's not God existing in the nature of God and He's not in heavens and earth? Because isn't that where angels are, is in heavens or in earth? Where does the Son of God go then? He can't be somewhere. He just can't be anywhere. He has to be somewhere. So we teach them God, Father, Son, and Spirit created by His command, heavens and earth. And is that hard for us to imagine? I, I, I can imagine. It's not too hard for me. You ever created a video game at your command? I have. I've played around with those little sites before, those little codes. You created it with your command. Are you the video game? No, but you created that thing at your what? Command. When you hit enter and that code went in, it was created. Come on, think about it. You are not the two-dimensional video game you made. You are not that object that you had made. You commanded it, and it was made. It was something other than you. Your mind created it. How about this? I'm looking around some builders here. You ever built something and created something? Where did it come from first? Your mind. It came from your mind. This is where people get into all that manifesting. They're not wrong in all ways. They're just wrong in the way that they're doing it. But if you're talking about us having the power to bring things out of our mind into the earth like God, that's exactly what it means to be in the image of God. The image of God means you can imagine and you can picture things that are not yet, and then by your command, they can come into existence. The only difference is you have to use God's stuff to command that other stuff. God didn't need any stuff but him, his own self to command it in that way. Can I get an amen? But I command that wood when I tell it to do something with the hammer, amen? Anybody ever commanded a piece of wood before with a nail and a hammer? I command you to get in there. Bap, bap, bap. You ever get mad at it? This is why I can't be building stuff because sometimes I get mad, you stupid piece of wood. Did you dare do that. I've beaten stuff with my hammer before. My wife, when we first got married, she's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm beating it. I'm just beating it. I remember we were trying to put together this piece of plastic and I was commanding it to go together to be this shelf and it wasn't going in there. So I got a hammer and I beat it in there. How many have ever beat something into submission before? You beat it in there. Now, don't do that to your neighbor, amen? Don't go to jail and blame me on it doing some uh, O.J. Simpson type stuff. But we have to use at our command other things that God made. As the old joke goes, Satan said, hey, God, I could do this better than you. Let me give it a try. And God was like, okay, Satan, give it a try. The only thing is you got to make your own dirt, You see, because God could command things that were not as though they were to be there, and then out of that dirt that he had commanded to already be there to make a man. And so if Satan really wanted to see he could outdo God, hey, do what God did and try to make some dirt. He can't do it. He doesn't have that power. No one really has that power. All we are doing as uh, we use in terms of marriage, procreation, as we don't create a baby like how God created Adam and Eve, we do it through procreation. Everything else we do is in that way building of these chairs, building of our ideas, songs, whatever artist you see is procreating from the image of God. Amen? So we know these things that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so, brothers and sisters, if we have such a relationship with that God, then we ought to be daring in our faith. If we have that kind of a relationship, now we understand why nothing's impossible. And people used to make fun of us when we would talk like that back in the day, until now we have all this technology, and they're like, man, I guess some things are possible that we didn't think were possible. You know, uh, the Bible says, you know, speak to this mountain and it shall be removed. And everybody laughed at us as Christians. And then now we see these things, how easily they can be removed by earthquakes and all of this, and now we go like, oh, I guess it's possible. You look down in the ocean, those used to be mountains. You know, the world used to be different. I believe that happened from the flood. And now we've we discovered all of these things. And they're like, well, I guess it is possible for mountains to be moved. Well, hey, what if you made those mountains? How much more easier is it for you to move it? You ever made a mountain as a sandcastle? You ever made a little mound before? Is that pretty easy for you to move? What is that to God? What is, this, what is Mount Everest to our God? If I can move a sandcastle right here and just go, whoop, you're going to move... You know, if I can do that with sand, how much more can God do that with the entire universe? You see, like I said, the difference between us and them isn't that we uh, don't, you know, like they have science and we only have faith or, uh, you know, they're rational and we're irrational. No, the Christian is actually the one using science and rationality to go, we have to put God in the mix here. We do. We do. Because if we don't, none of it makes sense. Even when you're arguing with an atheist about these things, well, why doesn't it make sense to you? You have this thing called a mind. Well, where did that come from? See, they can't explain that. I can explain to us why certain things come easier than other things is because we're made in the image of God. But watch this, sin has corrupted our hard drive, and now in some ways, we'll believe more of the sinful things than we will the godly things. That's why everybody listen to me. Check me out as we get ready to close here. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of heaven belongs to those. As I've shared with you before, think about it. When I talk to that, when I talk, Joy, raise your hand for everybody. Everybody say, hi, Joy. Now, everybody think about this. When I talk to Joy about people landing on the moon, she believes me. How many know she believes me? But how many know that was crazy 100 years ago? And right now, I could say to her, a mountain can be removed by faith, and she would still believe me. Well, we haven't seen it yet. Well, you will when, the kings, uh, when God sets up his kingdom here. We're ruling as kings and priests unto the Lord. We'll move the earth like, the, like you move furniture. And trust me, whoever's going to be over Chicago is going to get the weather right in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get it right. Hey, man, go talk to the king over Chicago and set this weather right. But seriously, think about it. When I teach her, When I teach her that there were dinosaurs, she believes me. Oh, yeah, dinosaurs, the size of a house. Yeah, they were here. She believes me. Guess what? There was also Nephilim here. There was also giants on the earth. There was also angels messing around down here. Well, I don't know about that. You see, it's us that change. It's not that she's less scientific than us. Somebody might say, well, she'll also believe the tooth fairy. Yeah, but she won't believe it for long. But you see, the things that I'm talking about, you can actually point to and begin to experience. See, When I tell tell her we're on the moon, there's a moon up there, and then I can show her Buzz Aldrin, and I can show her the videos, and I don't think that's a conspiracy, by the way, and I don't think the earth's flat. I pray for y'all flat earthers, by the way, if there's any still in the church, and I haven't offended y'all. I love you, but I do pray for you. Um, But she'll find out as she gets older. See, when the Bible says that that, that the, the faith of a child is what we need, it doesn't mean the naivety. What it means is the things that seem bigger than what you can understand a child will just grasp and hold on to. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It doesn't mean they're naive. It just means like when we as adults are so skeptical and we think that's rational, it actually keeps us away from believing things that are true. You see, if I wasn't taught as a child to believe in dinosaurs and I hadn't seen anything to do with dinosaurs and you came to me as an adult and told me about them, I would probably think that was just as strange as an alien. But since I've been brought up to believe in them and then the evidence has been shown to me, I take that for granted now. There were dinosaurs on the earth. And I believe it's the same thing with the things of God. That's why we teach them the things of God. And we show them, yeah, you see all of these big mountains that are now under the earth, and I mean, under the seas, and you see all these uh, canyons that are on the earth. That's because there was a big flood. And there was somebody yesterday, or not yesterday, but uh, recently on Joe Rogan's show, and I was getting this uh, thing on my, you know, on my uh, social media, and he was like, oh, my goodness, I was in this desert, and I figured out that the lines of the desert in these hills are actually tidal waves, and that means that the waves must have been two or 300 feet high to come in this far inland, and he was like, nobody talks about this. And, like, here comes Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis, Yo, dude, I be talking about this all the time. I actually built one of these in my parking lot. It's called an ark, and the water covered the earth. And that means you're going to find residue from that worldwide flood way out in that desert. But your atheist friend, he ain't going to understand that yet. Just like Einstein didn't understand that the world and the universe was formed at God's command. They believed that the universe was eternal. Did you know that the Big Bang and the belief of the start of the universe was actually something that had to come in fighting tooth and nail because all the scientists of that time were pushing so far back against God that they didn't want to believe that the universe had a beginning and that when it was finally accepted in science, scientists were saying, oh, now the Christians are going to be right. And that's right. Here we are. I'm not agreeing on their timeline because I don't think they know how to tell time very well. But I do believe that God said, let there be, and bang, it happened. Amen. Let there be light, bang, it happened. And guess what else they're finding out? They're finding out that the mind is more than your brain. And guess what else they're finding out? They're finding out that relationships determine your longevity in life. I just saw a study the other day that when you sleep with someone you love, you live a longer life. And I'm not trying to be against any of the singles here, but how many are glad you sleep next to the person you love? It gives you a longer life. And then how many know that children are brought up, when they're brought up in the ways of the Lord, they'll have a longer life. And now they're seeing the the life expectancy of Christians are less depressed, less suicide, all of these things in the world around us, yeah, you're going to figure it out, you're also going to figure out we have a soul, we also have a soul, dude, you're going to figure that out one day, and I can't wait for them to figure it out, and then they're going to pretend how smart they are, seriously, they'll be like, man, look, man, we figured this." it's like they do with the Big Bang, don't let any non-Christian ever try to convince you that that was something that Christians ever denied, we were there at the beginning, look at it, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command, and trust me when I give you science, I'm not twisting it for our own benefit. Some of my friends do that and they don't know what those scientists actually believe. But look up Akaku and string theory and the sound that's in the vibrations of our smallest particles. He said, literally, God must be a mathematician and like a, a, a magician, not a magician, but a musician to speak this into existence for it to vibrate, for it to have sound and for it to be so organized. Michuakaku, God is a mathematician. Atheists who are ornery will never accept this but atheists who are at least open to the things of God will be honest with the research that they're finding but now watch in closing Darrell would you come please what are you going to do with this knowledge okay so we're right right like you're not an atheist you're not an agnostic but what are you going to do Because notice what's going to start coming next. By faith, Abel did this. Scroll down a little bit for me, please. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch did this. Keep on going down. Verse 7, by faith, Noah did this. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. By faith, even Sarah. By faith, by faith. You're going to look at the scriptures and see what they did by that faith. Because once you and I realize that God created this whole universe and that nothing's impossible for those who believe, then we can now dare to be great for God. We can give our best offering because that's where it's going to start. I wish it would start with the one who loved Jesus the most and laid down his life and shouted out, I love you, Jesus, and then they burned him alive. You know, no, where are we going to start by God's grace next week? Is the one who gave the best offering. Isn't that something? goes right to the heart of our our idolatry. Look at Abel. Abel had so much faith. What did he do? Did he he, uh, part the Red Seas? Did he walk on water? No. Abel had so much faith, he gave God the best offering. That's what he did. He laid down his best at God's feet. Now imagine that. I'm preaching it again before I preach it, but just imagine that. Abel, why are you giving your best sheep? and goats and all. Why are you doing that? Man, give that stuff that's over there, that weak, scrawny one. If God is God, he you can imagine Cain, you know, kind of talking to his brother before. Hey, man, if God is God, he's not hungry. You're just going to be wasting it. But imagine Abel saying, no, I was taught by our dad that the one who made this whole thing is worthy of me giving him back my best. I didn't make that goat. I didn't make that lamb. Cain, I'm gonna give it back to God. There's still plenty more. If I give 10% of this, which the tithe wasn't mentioned there, but it had to be some percentage. God, if I give if I give this to God, there's still more for me. 90%. How many know 90% is still a lot? Man, that's stupid. Look. I'm just going, you know, sometimes people think that the difference between them is one was uh, in agriculture and the other one was into horticulture, to the animals. So so uh, Cain, he did wrong by bringing the fruits and, and, and all of that. And he should have brought an animal, bartered, bartered with his brother. No, that was not the problem. That is not what I believe at all. Because Bible says that you can give a grain offering. You can give these things as offerings as well. They're acceptable to God. But as we'll look at the story, it says that Abel brought his best, the first of his flocks to God. And a little while later, Cain brought what he had. And so you get this uh, impression that Cain, he takes off all of his apples and the good ones and all that, and it's just those little nasty ones that are hanging there, you know, that he now gives to God. He gets all the best strawberries, but those little nasty green ones that didn't quite develop, oh, he's going to push that in that basket and give it to God. You see, he tried to be cheap with God. And then what you're going to see is that God gives him another chance. Man, don't do it like this and don't hurt your brother. That's not going to fix anything. Sin is crouching at your door. But what is he going to do? We know the story. He's going to kill his brother out of jealousy. And what does that teach us? Is that some people, and even us, we can relate to this, would rather teared the whole house down, would rather ruin everybody's life than to do the right thing ourselves. And you'll notice this when you preach to people. When I start preaching them about heaven and hell, they want to come against me. Well, what about you? What about this? As if no one can be a Christian rather than to believe they need to become a Christian. It's like no one's really a Christian, so don't expect me to be one. There's not one on this entire earth. They would rather have the entire earth to go to hell in a handbasket if it was up to them, than for them just to admit, yeah, I'm not doing the right thing, preacher. I need to do the right thing. Forgive, Father in heaven, forgive me. Instead of calling out for help, they would rather just tear the whole thing down. And sometimes, sadly, you see this in marriages. Instead of them wanting to work on it, they want to turn against each other and tear the whole thing down. Who cares if the children suffer, right? You've been around these situations. Or even in our, in our city, as we saw the other day, when those young people went down, well, if we can't go to the park, if we can't have what we want, we're going to tear this whole place down. You're not going to have any peace. We're going to grab you by the hair, beat you in front of your apartment building. God have mercy. That's what happened in our city because people would rather do that than to say, I guess we got to do the right thing. People, think about it, people would rather kill their baby than to let you raise it. Think about that. Think about the anger that gets inside of the human heart. But that goes back to Cain and Abel. And then as we go through the rest of these stories, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. man, Man, I'll preach a whole other message. My favorite Old Testament character is Joseph. Also, I'm named after him. But wow, when you look at his story, the troubles, the trials, the tribulation, and yet he remains faithful. Brothers and sisters, let's not get discouraged in our fight of faith. Amen? You're going to go through this life, and it's not always going to be easy. I get it. I'm with you. I have my sufferings. You have your challenges. But here's one thing that we can determine we're going to do. We're going to go through it by faith. I'm going to believe God for better things today than I had yesterday. I'm going to do different today than I did yesterday because by faith I believe God's watching me. I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to put it all on the line. Just one last thing in closing. Pray for Dallas. I was uh, looking at Jared's uh, post in our devotional that I was sharing with you about. And, uh, you know, he's he's a new pastor, and he's only been there for a few years. And he's just like, man, I want this to grow so bad. I'm starting to feel the pressure. And if it, it doesn't work out, I would be ashamed. I would be embarrassed. Now let me ask you a question here. Would anybody here be ashamed of Pastor Jared if that church didn't work out? Would we say he's not a good man? But you see, pastors think like that, right? But I wrote him back, and I said, brother, I've closed two churches in New Orleans, two in Chicago. You would just be trying to catch up to me at this point. But here's the thing. God never judges us based on our failures and successes. God judges us based on our heart to trust him and love him through our ups and downs. And he wrote me back with a little tear emoji, and he said, thank you, I needed that. Because that's what we feel sometimes. Oh, man, Joe, if I put up a dream like this in my life, 100,000, I'm going to feel so silly if it doesn't happen. You know, I want to buy a house or I want my children to serve Jesus. And if I, if I actually put my faith on that and, and it doesn't happen the way I, I think it is, I'm going to be embarrassed. No more embarrassed than Abraham counting stars in the sky, believing that's going to be the size of his family line. No more embarrassed then Joseph saying, hey, guys, when God takes you out, if you bring my bones with you, because I'm not an Egyptian, don't forget about me. And 400 years later, Moses said, grab the bones of Joseph. It's time to go. The Bible teaches us that so many of our heroes face challenges. So many of them didn't see it come to pass. But we don't look at them like failures. We don't look at Joseph like a failure. We don't look at these men and women that way. We look at them like, man, they held on. They believed. That's what matters is that you believe. You see, so often people say, that's just make-believe. No, my friend, it's the real belief. If I don't believe that this world can change, then what's the point anyways? Right? But I believe Chicago can change. I've seen pictures. I've been doing a mission class, Augustine. I've seen pictures of Colombia. I've seen them change. I've seen pictures in Lagos, Olegos, Nigeria. I've seen them change. There's a building right now in Lagos, Nigeria that can, hit, that can fit over a half a million people. It looks like a, like a big airplane hangar, but these roofs, and they have no walls, but it goes on and on and on for acres, and it fits almost a half a million people. Why not believe for Chicago, brother? Billy Graham did it. Billy Graham filled up Soldier Stadium. Put up that picture in closing for me, please. Billy Graham filling up Soldier Stadium. What's wrong in believing, my brother? That's that's all we have. Martin Luther King Jr. never saw what we saw today. He never got to see us in church together. He never got to see us, all of us here today, but he believed it. And what did he say? I mean, come on, you, you, you could say, well, that's just corny. No, it's not. He said, I have a dream. That the colors of all of these children will play together and they won't be known by the color of their skin but by the content of their heart. And it took what it took people getting pushed, pushed down and fire hose sprayed on them and dogs sicked on them for us to sit here today on a bus going home and not to think twice about it. This is my brother. This is my brother. This is my sister. I have a dream that we won't kill children anymore in our abortion clinics, but we'll adopt them. I have a dream that in our high schools, the young people will act like gentle men and gentle women. I have a dream that the city that we love so much will be full of the glory of God, that we'll be able to leave our doors open at night and to help a neighbor out without wondering if they're going to steal from us. It's not that we're just here playing make-believe. We're we're actually doing the only thing that matters. Because that's what I would say to the skeptic, is if I can't believe my wife is going to love me, then how do I get married then? Because I can't see us 18 years in the future, which this June is 18, am I right? 18 years. You can click on any one of those black and white photos. Thank you. I I couldn't see 18 years at at the altars. But I had to have faith. If I didn't have faith, how would I ever have love? Are you all listening to me as you're looking at Billy Graham? I had to stand at the altar. Come on, Brother Mike, listen to me, man, with your beautiful family. I had to stand at the altar and say, I believe in you. What I don't see, I believe that you won't hurt me, you won't leave me, and that we're going to grow old together. Well, what if this, what if that? Well, what if What if it does work out? I'll never hit a ball I don't swing at. I'll never hit the shot I don't shoot. And if we don't have faith, we all might as well die now. But if we can have faith for a better world, now we get up and we live, don't we? And that's why, sir, listen to me or ma'am, working a job that you don't like today, you're doing it, why? Because you have faith for your children, my father-in-law came from Greece and was a worker at Brock's Candy Factor then a janitor at a high school. But he had faith that his kids could experience more. But he never saw it. But now he gets to come to a house where the children have room to play. And that's, that's what I saw. See, that's what he gets to point to say. Now it's here. But what, if, what would have happened if he would have died? It still would have came. Even if I don't make to see 100,000, Lucas, come on up here for me, please. Can somebody come to the conference or to the, the, the Soldier Stadium? If Lucas is the preacher, would you guys come? If I wasn't there, but this was the preacher, come stand next to him, Evan. Come on, Evan. Let's give it up for another preacher's kid up here. If, if it wasn't me and Pastor Berto, would you come to see these men preach in Soldier Stadium? And for them to say before the audience there, our fathers, our family believed that we could meet together now with raised fists and arms against each other and fighting, but we could raise our hands and holy hands to God and worship. And it wasn't about the bears. It wasn't about the Packers or the Cubs or the Bulls. It was about Jesus. I hope that you would come. It doesn't matter to me how it comes. I just want it to come. We have to believe. If we don't believe, we have nothing left. But brothers and sisters, it was put in our hearts to believe. Every single one of you this next season as you come to church for our Heroes of the Faith uh, series, come believing things. Let us pray for you. Let us start to believe that your things will come true. One last story in closing. There was a a, a man passing by a storefront church just like this in Canada. And he came as a drunk and got saved. And then eventually his family came. And the young man was raised in church. That boy was raised in church because a church loved that drunk who was walking by an old storefront church. That young man became one of the top 10 billionaires of Canada, and now he supports the work of God everywhere he goes. You read the story of Chick-fil-A or of Hobby Lobby or In-N-Out Burger, or you read the stories of these great people who are movers and shakers in the world, and they all started off saying, I believe God can use me. I believe God can use me. I believe God, I'm no different than this other person. If God used them, he can use me. Do you see a difference between Billy Graham and these young men right here? If God used Billy Graham to do it, he can use our young people to do it. I pray over every one of us that if we are Christians and we totally believe that, we won't be the foolish virgins of this generation. We'll be the wise ones. We'll be the ones holding on. Amen? Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, I look forward to hearing you boys preach. You can be whatever else you want to be as long as you're preachers. You may be seated. or going back to your seats there. Abandon altar workers, come, please. How many believe that? With with your family, you can be whatever you want as long as you serve Jesus, amen? I don't care. My daughter says, well, I want to be a beautician, but I also want to be a missionary. All right, well, they need that stuff done too. Amen. Could you see her in Africa? Okay, what's beautiful here? I'm going to do it for you. She wants to go to Israel. Okay, what do you Israelites like over here? What color of nails you like? How do you want your eyebrows did? I'm going to do it for you. It doesn't matter what you want to do. Do it for Jesus, though. Put God first put God for us. Father, we ask for dreams and visions in this place. We ask, Lord, for you to expand our vision. Help us to look at the stories that we've come in so contact with, that we're so familiar with, that we take them for granted. Help us to now see ourselves in those stories. Help us to be like the Canes, like the Abels that give our best. Help us to be like the Noahs that go against a culture and rescue our family out of it. Oh, Lord, help us to be like Joseph that can save a nation, oh, Lord. Help us to be like Abraham, God, that can see a promised land before anybody else can see it. Lord, help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be like Deborah, who will go to war and make men courageous. Oh, God, help us to be people of faith. Before we leave out of here, if you don't know Jesus yet, repent of your sins and be born again. That's the greatest step of faith. And for the rest of us who are already Christians, ask God to do something great in your life as we begin to look at these scriptures, this series here. Look at your life and say, Lord, use me. Use me, God. You didn't have to choose me, but you did. And now, Lord, let's do something great together. A few moments right now. A few moments. Mothers, raise up your children to be children of Zion. Fathers, dedicate your life to your wives and to your family. Let your stories be the legacy of what we hear about in years to come. That it was because of strong men like you that families were kept safe during this time. In the name of Jesus. I pray for every entrepreneur, every business idea to come forth in the name of Jesus. I pray for every life group and ministry idea to come forth in the name of Jesus. So many of you have dreams and visions to own land or property or to invite people to your house or to start a home for this or help young people with that. Those are God dreams and visions. I pray right now for the resources to bring those about in the name of Jesus. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman until God shook him up and said, go do something about the inner city. Now there are blocks full of what God left as a legacy there. He was a shoe salesman. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. And God said, I won't put the gift of healing on you, but you got to be willing to pray for anybody I send you. And he went all throughout England praying for the sick. He was just a plumber in the name of Jesus. Raise him up again, Lord. A few more moments right here. Sergio, or uh, Carlos and Acondia of the Argentine revival, was a machinist, owned his own machine shop in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. But God saved him as an older man and then sent him out to preach the gospel. He was the leader of the last revival there, filling up stadiums. But what was his occupation? He was a machinist. Right now, Father, do it again. Do it again, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Raise up mothers of Zion. Raise up men and women today of vision and of destiny. The founder of Spanx was a woman who said, I don't like the way my body looks. I'll use old pantyhose. And now she's a multi-billionaire. Oprah Winfrey was rejected from every job but said, I have a heart to talk to people. Where are the next ones in this house? Where is the greatness? A few more moments. A few more moments you have now can set a destiny in order. And even if we're forgotten, even if we're not the big somebodies, let us all be who God called us to be as those somebodies. Amen. Even if nobody ever knew about this church, at least I knew that I was serving God here. He didn't forget me. But I do believe there's greatness here. I do believe that God's called Christians in these last hours to be great leaders. There's a deficit of leadership in our nation and it's time. Faith. Faith. The substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Would somebody ask today the Lord to increase your faith? And when you pray that, that means you're going to obey the word of God. Lord, increase my faith so I can obey the word of God right now before we go. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Get rid of stinking thinking. Get rid of a poverty mentality. Get rid of anything that says, well, because my generation or my family or my culture couldn't do it, I can't do it. You are who God said you are. You're more than a conqueror. Right now, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for great faith to arise. Remember Jesus, he would say to the people, that's great faith. Everybody, he would stop them. He would say, listen, that's great faith. Great faith arise in this place, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Anybody here today with great faith? You going to go out and give it a try? In Jesus' name.